Hi, I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And I'm Father Gregory Pine. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we're reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 41. Today we'll be reading Part 5, Exercises and Counsels for Renewing the Soul and Strengthening Her Devotion, Chapters 4 through 9, pages 441 through 453 in the Ascension edition of this book. Before we get to the reading, let's take a look at what we'll be covering today. In these chapters, St. Francis continues to lead us to close his book and continue in the devout life, to take with us what we've learned and apply it, to put it into action. In the first couple chapters, he encouraged us in some of the difficulties to come, whether they be uh, with our own resolutions or in our relationships with others. Now, he shows us how to examine our conscience in relation to different things so that we might continue to persevere in our efforts. Examinations of conscience are essential to our devout life. And St. Francis, though he's already talked about this in a couple of different contexts, our evening prayer and preparation for the sacrament of penance, he now asks us to consider the state of our souls with respect to the devout life, with respect to ourselves, God, and our neighbors in particular. So before we look at that, let's say a quick prayer and then we can get into the reading. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly. For the praise and glory of thy name. Amen. Chapter 4. An Examination of the State of the Soul in Relation to God. 1. What is the state of your heart as regards mortal sin? Are you firmly resolved never to commit any for any reason whatsoever? Have you continued in this resolution from the time of your profession up to the present moment? This resolution is the very foundation of the spiritual life. 2. How is your heart disposed as regards God's commandments? Do you find them good, pleasant, and agreeable? Ah, my daughter, he whose taste is in good order and whose stomach is healthy loves good meats and rejects bad ones. How is your heart affected by venial sins? We cannot keep ourselves so pure that we will not fall now and then into such sins. However, are there none for which you have some particular inclination, or which would be worse yet, are there none to which you bear an affection and love? 4. How is your heart affected as regards spiritual exercises? Do you love them? Do you esteem them? Or do you find them irksome? Have you a distaste for them? To which of them do you find yourself more or less inclined? When you hear the word of God, when you read it, or when you discuss it, when you meditate, aspire to love God, when you go to confession, when you receive spiritual advice or prepare yourself for communion, when you receive communion or when you restrain all of your affections, do any of these acts go against your heart? And if you find anything to which your heart has less inclination, look into the source and causes of this dislike. 5. How stands your heart toward God himself? Does it take pleasure in calling God to mind? Does this remembrance leave an agreeable sweetness in its wake? Ah, said David, I remembered God and was delighted. 
Do you find your heart ready to love God? Does it experience particular satisfaction in exercising this love? Does your heart delight to reflect God's immensity, His goodness, and His sweetness? If the remembrance of God comes to you amid the occupations and vanities of the world, do you allow it to take the place it should have? Does it captivate your heart? Does it seem to you that your heart turns in that direction and, as it were, runs out to meet her God? Certainly there are souls for whom this is true. If a wife and husband have been separated for a long while and he returns from his travel to a faraway country, as soon as she sees him approach or hears his voice, even if she is wholly busy and detained from him for quite good reasons, nonetheless her heart is not withheld from him, but instead sets aside all other thoughts in order to think about her husband who has returned. The same is true for souls that have great love for God. Let them be however busy, nonetheless, when God comes back into their minds, they almost forget everything else on account of the joy they experience upon remembering Him once again. This is an extremely good sign. 6. How does your heart feel about Jesus Christ, the God-man? Do you take delight in Him? Bees are pleased with their honey and wasps with rotten things. So too good souls find their contentment in Jesus Christ and feel extremely tender love toward Him, whereas the wicked take pleasure in vanities. 7. How does your heart feel concerning the mother of God, the saints, your guardian angel? Do you have strong love for them? Do you beseech their benevolence with particular confidence? Do you take pleasure in images, hagiographies, and praise of them? 8. What about your tongue? How do you speak of God? Does it please you to speak well of him according to your condition and ability? Do you love to sing his praises? 9. And what about your works? Consider whether your heart is animated by giving glory to God, or do you greatly desire to do something for his honor? For those who love God love, like David, the adorning of his house. 10. Do you find that you have forsaken any affection or renounced anything for the sake of God? It is a good sign of love when we see that we have deprived ourselves of anything on behalf of him whom we love. What then have you forsaken for the love of God? Chapter 5. An Examination of What the Soul Thinks of Itself 1. How do you love yourself? Is this love marked by too great an attachment to this world? If so, you desire to live here below forever and take the greatest care to provide for your security on this earth. However, if your love for yourself is heavenly in character, you will desire, or at least be content, to depart from this life whenever it so pleases our Lord. 2. In short, is your self-love rightly ordered? For disordered self-love brings us to ruin. What does a well-ordered love require of us? To love the soul better than the body. To work diligently to acquire virtue more than anything else. To have a higher opinion of heaven's favor than of the honor granted by this low and perishable world. A well-ordered heart will more often say within itself, What will the angels say if I think of such a thing, than what will men say? 3. What kind of love do you have for your own heart? Are you irritated when you must heal it in its sickness? Alas, you owe it such care for it assisting it, or seeking out such aid, when passions torment it, indeed laying aside all other things so that you might see to this task. 4. What kind of self-estimate do you have before God? Doubtless nothing. There is no great humility for a fly to esteem itself nothing in comparison to a mountain, nor for a drop of water to hold itself to be nothing in comparison to the sea, nor for a spark of fire to hold itself to be nothing next to the sun. However, humility consists in not esteeming yourselves above others, and in not desiring to be overestimated by others. How do you stand in this regard? 
Five, what about your tongue? Do you sometimes boast about yourself concerning one thing or other? Do you flatter yourself when you speak about yourself? Six, and what about your deeds in general? Do you indulge in pleasures that are contrary to your health? I mean, in vain or unprofitable pleasures, late hours, and the like? Chapter 6. Examination of our soul in relation to our neighbors. The love of husband and wife ought to be sweet and calm, firm and constant, and this principally because God ordains and wills it. I say the same as regards the love we must have for our children and near relations, as well as for our friends, each in accord with his particular action. However, to speak in general, how is your heart affected toward your neighbor? Do you love him from your heart and with a love that is animated by the love of God above all else? To judge this matter clearly, you must have in mind certain troublesome and obstinate people, for they are the ones that call for us to exercise the love of God toward our neighbor. Indeed, this is even more true as regards those who injure us, whether by deeds or words. Carefully examine whether your heart is detached and ready to love them, or whether you discover there a great revulsion at the idea of loving them. Are you apt to speak ill of your neighbor, especially of those who do not love you? Do you refrain from doing evil to your neighbor, either directly or indirectly? So long as you are reasonable, you will easily see that your character is in this regard. Chapter 7. Examination Concerning Our Soul's Affections Up to now, I have drawn out at length the points of examination that aid us in seeing what our spiritual advancement has truly been. As regards the examination of sins, this is for the confessions of those who do not think seriously of advancing. Nonetheless, when you consider one of these points, you must do so calmly, considering how your heart has been related to them since your profession of devotion and what considerable faults you have committed against it. Now, to sum up what would be a lengthy treatment, we must reduce this examination into an investigation of our passions. And if it troubles you to consider every point with as much detail as has been spoken of earlier, we may examine ourselves as follows regarding what we have been and how we have behaved in our love for God, our neighbor, and ourselves, in our hatred for our sins and those of others, for we must desire that both of these be eradicated, in our desires related to riches, pleasures, and honors, in our fear of the peril of sin and in that concerning the loss of our worldly goods, for we are all too ready to fear the latter too much and the former too little, in our hope, perhaps placed too much on the world and creatures and too little on God and things eternal, in our sorrow, whether it is excessive and for foolish things, or our joy, whether it is excessive and for unworthy things. Finally, what affections entangle our heart, what passions possess it, and what has it principally been led astray? Indeed, we may judge our state of soul by considering our passions, examining them one after another. When a lute player touches all the strings of its instrument, he discovers which are out of tune, thereupon tuning them by winding them up or loosening them. So too, if after examining the passions of love, hatred, desire, hope, sorrow, and joy in our soul, we find them out of tune for the harmony that we desire to play, namely the glory of God, we should tune them by means of his grace and the counsel of our spiritual father. Chapter 8. Affections to be aroused after this examination. After you have quietly considered each point of examination and discovered the state of your soul in that regard, you must then arouse your affections as follows. Give thanks to God for any amendment you may have found in your life since your profession of devotion, and acknowledge that His mercy alone brought this about in and for you. 
Humble yourself greatly before God, acknowledging that if you have not made much advancement, this has been through your own fault, because you have not faithfully, courageously, and constantly corresponded to the inspirations, lights, and motions that he has given you in prayer and at other times. Promise that you will eternally praise him for the graces exercised on your behalf and for enabling you to bring about this small amendment to your evil inclinations. Ask pardon for your unfaithfulness and disloyalty in responding to his grace. Offer him your heart so that he may make himself its master in all things. Beseech him to make you entirely faithful to him. Call upon the saints, the mother of God, your guardian angel, your patron saint, Saint Joseph, and others too. Chapter 9. Reflections Suited to the Renewal of Our Good Resolutions After you have made your examination and have conferred with some worthy director concerning your defects and the proper remedies for them, take one of the following considerations every day, by way of meditation, doing it during your time for mental prayer, always using the same method for preparation and arousing affections as you did in the meditations of the first part, placing yourself first in the presence of God, imploring his grace to establish you firmly in his holy love and service. Well, yesterday we read about considering the state of our soul with respect to advancing in the devout life, where we are, how we're moving. And today, St. Francis is giving us a few more tools with respect to examinations of conscience, or sort of examining the state of where, where we are with respect to God, ourselves, neighbors, our affections. Perhaps it's worth starting. We've talked about, as I mentioned, we've talked about examining our conscience at night, at the end of the day. We've talked about it in preparing for the sacrament of penance. And now we're kind of getting like a a third type of thing to do in the context of renewing or rekindling our resolutions to make these examinations of like the state of our soul, as St. Francis calls it, with respect to these, I don't know, I don't want to call them different entities, but different persons, God, self, neighbor, affections. I guess why? How is this helpful? I mean, maybe it's even yeah worth just saying like why this is even helpful in our pursuit of the devout life. Yeah, I think that there's a certain temptation that is experienced by many Christians of envisioning your life of faith as like a personal project. So you've done other personal projects before, like remember that time when you painted the basement, and remember that time when you installed those elevated beds in your backyard. The spiritual life is just like that. All you need is, you know, good intentions and then a plan of action and then perseverance and discipline and uh, elegantly designed reward system, which will undoubtedly include Chick-fil-A. So, I mean, that's, that's good enough as far as tactics go, but there can be a little spiritual lie at the root of that plan of action, which is that this is about me, right? All right, I'm pursuing God and relationship, but I'm really doing it because I want my feast day to be on September 9th because I want it right after like the nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I know there are only three nativities on the calendar, but it'd be great if there were a fourth, and it'd be great if it were mine. You know, so it's like we kind of catch ourselves daydreaming about our own spiritual plans apart from the Lord, which is, you know, it's what it is. I don't think we have to be too terribly ashamed about it because we're all prideful. So, whoop, there you go. No surprise. So, with this kind of examination, we have to confront the fact that our spiritual lives are interpersonal all the way down. Okay, so it's just about the Lord Jesus, all right? And it's about us in communion with the Lord Jesus. So we're from him and we're for him. We wanna be from him and for him in the way in which he intends us to be such. And in the, in the process, we're gonna to have to do a lot of emptying of self. So it's good to examine our relationship with God, with ourselves, and with others under that rubric 
lest we begin to think that this is just like all other personal projects which I have executed in the past and I will meet with you know, similar successes and feel myself similarly excellent. It's like, no, it's about the Lord. And it doesn't matter too terribly much how we feel. What matters is that he has his way in our lives according to, you know, his timing and his good pleasure, which is a wild prospect, but ultimately one that's more spiritually fruitful. Yeah. And I think like relationship, I was thinking in my mind, say that three times, relationship, relationship, relationship is, that's kind of hokey, but I just did it. So now I'm committed, but is, is the, the through line through all of this that we are, again, we're not called to like discipleship, devotion, holiness, intimacy with Christ is not a to-do list. It is about being with Christ. And we've talked about this in a whole host of different ways throughout these episodes from, from prayer of just being with him, of meditating on his life from the sacraments, receiving him in the sacraments, um, from clearing out the clutter of our lives through purification and mortification. It's all to be with Christ as Father Gregory was saying. And one of the things that St. Francis says in, in these chapters, or, or the reason why he's giving us these, what, these examinations of the state of our soul with respect to these different relationships is because even though, yes, it is not like a personal project in which we in, endeavor to like accomplish, what did you say, elevated beds? When I When you first said that, I was thinking of like, beds that we sleep on and then realize that that's not what you were talking about. But it took me a second. I'm with you. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, we still want to know if we're progressing, right? We don't want to put all of our eggs in that basket of like, I'm on step number 42 of 87 in devotion. But there's still there's still something to know, like, are we growing here? And our Lord talks about this in the scriptures of knowing knowing goodness or not by the fruits that our lives produce and that sort of thing. And that has to be pursued in the way that Christ means it, not in the sort of like prosperity gospel type thing. But looking at our, taking an assessment of the state of our soul in these different relationships is a helpful way to see like, am I, am I resolute? Am I living up to the promises that I made? Am I pursuing these things? So in each of them, there were four that he put forward, God, self, neighbor, affections, are they, are they different? Do we take an assessment of that in the same way? Do we not? You know, he gives us different chapters on these, so that it seems in different advice in these different chapters. What are some good things to consider in, in these sort of examinations of the state of our soul? Yeah, I think that um, maybe just by way of introduction, we have to, you know, we've used the word agnostic previously to describe other aspects of the spiritual life. When it comes to our own growth and holiness, I think that it, it can be hidden and it can often be hidden even from us. And I've heard it said that holiness is a secret between the soul and God, but it's a secret that's sometimes kept from one of the parties. And so I think that what we focus on is what we can know or what God gives us to know, right? So, you know, he he makes his will known through commands and through certain inspirations of the heart, through the counsel of wise friends, through what it is that our confessor prescribes or our spiritual director indicates or what we ourselves are convicted of in the process of our ongoing conversion, etc. Right? But, but we have to see that through. We have to follow that through. And grace itself is invisible. So we're not going to be able to install a graceometer on our right ear and like take, you know, twice daily measurements. Uh, because it can't be assessed in terms of points. It can't be assessed in terms of levels. It's just it's just grace, right? Now, are there ways in the spiritual tradition of kind of characterizing what might be appropriate for a beginner, what might be appropriate for a proficient person, what might be appropriate for a perfect person? Yeah, undoubtedly. Uh, but a lot of that is based off kind of 
you know, what we might call evidential signs. It's like you see evidence, you see proofs kind of cropping up here and there in your life. And when you take them all together, you're like, you know what? I think God is having his way with me, which is great because I'm very tired. And if he weren't having his way with me, I would be too exhausted to redirect course. So things that would seem to indicate that God is having his way with you is constancy in prayer, right? Fidelity to the sacramental life, a greater investment in your friendships. And there we see that interpersonal dimension, right? It's like, are you present to and are you able to receive, you know, your friends? And that means, you know, God, family, friends, work associates, those with whom you congregate in other settings. Like, are you given to that, right? Are you available for that? Are you free in that, right? Does your yes mean yes? Does your no mean no? Do you not hesitate for one or the other course because you have a strong sense of self and you're able to dedicate yourself to whatever the task is, provided that it's in fact your task? And you can go through other things, but I mean, like, is there a bit of penance in your life? Do you have a devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary? Do you feel prompted to serve the material poor? If these things are starting to line up, okay, then, then God is having his way. And then it seems to be the case that you are growing. And so when we see these different criteria that he lists with respect to God's self and others, it's this interpersonal dimension, this responsiveness, this liberty that we ought to experience ultimately in those relationships that he's checking for. Yeah, I think there, there's a balance, right, between knowing where we are and knowing that we are doing, I guess, what's required, if that makes sense, right? Like, not that it's a to-do list, but like knowing, we don't have to know that we're in the 32nd mansion or rung of the ladder up to heaven. Like, in a sense, that's where the agnosticism point comes to bear. Like, in a sense, who cares? You know, because in the end, it's not, it's not an accomplishment. It's about being with God. Um, and being with him in the way that he offers himself to us. And he does so in different ways for different people. And, and thanks be to God for that. But there's also the, the reality that, you know, if we're going to set out in a life of devotion, well, then we ought to do so like well. And part of doing that well is knowing if we're doing that well. So fine. So this is why um, St. Francis is asking or giving us some ways to consider like, am I doing this well? Am I moving on the right way? And often that's less of looking at a list and more of looking at the relationship as we've talked about of, of where we are and, and what we're doing. They're a good indication of the devout life. Perhaps we can see this with greater ease with God, ourselves, our neighbors, how, like what our relationship in life is like with both. But what about like the last, like our affections? We've talked about our passions, our affections, especially with like food, drink, and sex and chastity and these sort of, but like maybe by way of sort of kind of getting a couple last points in, what about you know, our, the state of our soul with our affections, that seems a little bit more nuanced. I don't know, a little more difficult. Yeah. Elsewhere in the introduction to the devout life, St. Francis de Sales talks about, you know, what types of purgations we need to undergo, how we need to kind of unburden ourselves from certain things that keep us from growing into all the fullness of God. We heard about that just a bit earlier. And he first says, you know, habitual sin is the first thing that has to go. But the next is our desire for those sins, right? We can't be like the Egyptians who just after having crossed the Red Sea begin to murmur and complain because the food is not nearly as good as it was in Egypt, right? While they uh, have not yet come to experience the delights of manna and quail, they're lamenting their loss of like leeks and potatoes. So we don't want to be like that where we convert partially, but then long after the spoils of our formerly sinful lives. And I think that one of the ways in which we do that is by uh, like undergoing the penances that we described, the mortifications that we described earlier, and uh, a kind of mortification of the affections. And this will look differently in different lives, but, um, you know, maybe a co one concrete example just before we wrap up is, 
Uh, if we find that that our hearts are not yet as chaste as God wants them to be, then maybe it's best not to indulge in kind of like sordid emotional encounters, right? I've no firsthand knowledge of some of these things, uh, but I have seen you know people respond or react to them like, and and okay, Father Gregory, describe what you're describing. Here we go. So like Hallmark Christmas movies, for instance, I don't think they're they're not like a sinful thing, but they're the types of things which are kind of cloyingly sweet and emotionally not like manipulative, but they're emotionally just like easy. Um, if we find ourselves like longing for the flesh pots of former relationships where we felt more this, that, or the other, okay, well, maybe the next step would be distancing ourselves from that type of entertainment, which gives us easy love, right? Which gives us an image of love, which entails no sacrifice in which Jesus is not on the cross and which we're not being called, you know, further up and further in to the demands of the gospel. You know, so that's okay. That's just me beating up on Hallmark Christmas movies, which I take practically every opportunity to do. But I think that represents what we mean by like moving beyond the habitual sin and then the desire for it. So having a consciousness of what are we still holding on to? What are we still attached to? So that way we can ask God for the grace to unburden ourselves and run yet more quickly to him. All right. Well, that's actually pretty helpful. I say actually, like I wasn't expecting you to be helpful, but Hey, good job. So with that, we're going to leave we're going to leave you with those thoughts. I think as we've been working through this book, as I've said earlier, you know, St. Francis is equipping us with a sort of like tool belt in the life of devotion. So these examinations or considering the states of our soul is is just another way by which we can continue to be resolved to pursue this life of devotion. Um, so we'll leave you with that for today. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcast. If you'd like to hear some of our other conversations on different subjects, Follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast, Godsplaining. There you will find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with some guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics.